We're looking at uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. You got that settled? I need to move farther away. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. I just want to read one quick verse that gives us a setting. Jeremiah 29 verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here is our who and our what. Jeremiah's writing this letter to those who have been carried off. Um, some of you Bible scholars help me out. Why are, why are they there? Disobedient. Any elaboration? Very disobedient. That will work. Um, historically, let's let's go back and set a tone. Um, Solomon uh, was king, and after he died, his son came on as king, and the people said, "Too much taxes." Anybody relate to that? So there's too much taxes. We want to, we want to reprieve. We want you to cut taxes. And his pride got to him and, and through that, there, God split the kingdom. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel to the north had a set of kings and leaders that never went after Jehovah God, never sought him, didn't look for him, um, didn't set up anything to encourage people to go to Jerusalem, to the temple. And eventually, after warning, after warning, after warning, God used the Assyrian Empire. Very brutal, wicked people came down, killed many, many, many people, took the rest off and just spread them everywhere. Um, you don't see much of them again, um, other than uh, many believe through uh, Jesus' day, the Sumerians were probably some of those because they were mixed blood. They, they, they lost their identity. They, they never had a faithful worship. So you had Judah left, and Babylon comes on the scene. And for a good period of time, the kings, some of the kings, you had a good four or five kings that were fairly good, seeking after God. Um, and But there came a time when they did not anymore, and they were becoming very unfaithful. Um, idolatry worship was so prevalent that they would set up idols throughout the temple area. And God warned them and warned them and warned them again and again, just like he did in, in Israel. And finally he said, okay, that's it. And he brings king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, down. Uh, they take, take them in groups. They, the first, very first group, they take 10,000 of the, the premier, the, the best of the best people, princes and young men, to train them in the ways of Babylon. Well, they're still rebellious, and Nebuchadnezzar comes down. He wipes out the walls of Jerusalem. He wipes out the temple. He takes everybody that has any skill, every craftsman, anybody that can be useful, and he hauls them off to Babylon. So people that are left are unskilled, um, non-leaders, and that's what's left. That's where Jeremiah is. And all the leaders and skilled and, and, and prominent and, and 
um, educated are off in Babylon. So he's writing this letter to them. And this letter is a letter of encouragement. What do you do now? Here's where we're at. So that's where we come to in Jeremiah chapter 29. What kind of attitudes do you think these people that have been hauled off, they've seen their temple destroyed. They've seen uh, their prized city just in crumbles. What kind of attitudes do you think? What type of feelings, what type of emotions are going on in these people? Anger? Hopelessness? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Psalm 137. Who, who died? Zeke, would you read that for us? Anger, bitterness, sorrow. Here's a people, they're saying, oh, our poor temple. Well, they weren't paying much attention to the temple when it was there, when they were there. Overwhelmingly, there weren't that many that were worshiping at the temple. There weren't that many that were faithful at that time. And now it's like, oh, what ha- what has happened to our temple? It's awful. Um, they just didn't know what to do. They didn't understand what God was doing. God's made promises that he hasn't fulfilled. You ever been to the point where, where uh, you're like, God, what are you doing? How can you allow this in my life? And that's where they are. They're really struggling. And there's one verse that's... Uh, um, that stands out to me every time I think about this and, and situations that we go through. And I pick somebody else. I don't, uh, Daniel, uh, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. I want you to keep that verse in mind as we watch the video. Jump right into a discussion time at your tables. Um, there's a list of discussions on your list there on, on page 12 also. Has the same questions if you don't have enough uh, handouts. Uh, just look at number three, question number three. There's about four questions within it. Just focus on that one at your tables for the next few minutes. They're dealing with in uh, Babylon with sorrow, and Jeremiah sends a word and asking them to do things that just just went against their grain. Um, this overwhelming sorrow, they wanted to be eased. We're coming back. God's coming for us. And that's not the word that he gives at all. And uh, God tells us in several places there's times for sorrow. Um, he tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 7, um, there's times for sorrow. He tells us, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, but don't get hung up on the sorrow as the world does who has no hope because there's something much more. Don't get bogged down with the sorrow of what comes, the things that happen in your life. Um, um, Jesus said when he was here in John chapter 20, he said, your sorrow will be turned into joy. And there's a promise for each of us in the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 21, verse 4. And he says, I will wipe all tears from your eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. So we have this bright future. And it's just not when we get into these ugly things as we see them at the time that we're in them, it's not the end. So I'm going to jump to the application. We're going to spend the rest of our time right here. Application and and, uh, personalization here. 
Um, some of you may be surprised. Maybe you're a brand new Christian. This may come as a shock, but bad things happen. It may sound funny, but if any of you have been in church at any length of time, haven't you known people that have left because it just didn't happen like God needed it. They needed it to happen. God was supposed to do this. Everything is supposed to get better. And some of us are guilty of that. You know, if you'll, if you'll just accept Christ, things will be better. And that's not a promise that we're given. The future. But bad things happen. Um, secondly, answers are always available. You may not be asking the right questions, but there are always answers. We're gonna, I'm gonna deal in detail with these in a second. Let me just give you each of these real quick. Um, the third one, prayer is always appropriate. They were looking for answers. How are we going to get back? How's God going to restore us? And that wasn't his answer at all. His answer was, what do you have right now? Where are you at? What resources do you have? Because here, here's where it gets personal for us. Bad things happen. One thing you got to remember, don't give up. Easy to say. Not always so easy to do. Um, we can't lose hope. So we have a bright future. It's not the end of the story. It wasn't the end of their story. It's not over for them. When you go through really rough things, and, and we all do, they're thinking it's the end of the world. Look what happened to God's temple. Look what happened to God's city. It's over. God said it's not over. You don't give up. Because I still have plans. I have plans for you. Of a bright and a glorious future. And God always carries through on his word. Secondly, there are always answers. Um, Answers are always available. And what I had to tell you about that is don't give up. Um, have a sister-in-law that has gone through numerous trials. Um, her husband having an affair with the babysitter when their child together was a baby, underage, leaving his leaving her, eventually marrying the babysitter. After years of struggle and no support whatsoever, even though the court ordered it, And the daughter has grown, and in this ex-husband's ability um, to talk to ladies, he has encouraged her to come and live with him instead. So she has seemingly abandoned her mom to go and live with her father. And so in another state, so the court, he's gone to the court in the other state, and now they're demanding that she give support to him. In spite of all that, she's going through, this daughter's going through trials where her, her intestines are literally rotting away inside her. They removed many of them, 
much of, it, of her intestines. I'm going to have to remove more. She'll probably have some form of colostomy all the rest of her life. 17 years of age. Um, dealt a very hard hand. Difficult things to deal with. I once was there and uh, I've heard her say something similar along these lines many times. And she asked how, you, you know, how we're doing or something. I'll say, well, you know, this happened. And her basic response is, deal with it. She's not being harsh. That's how I took it the very first time I ever heard it. But she's like, you got to move on. You can't just settle in woe is me and live there. What do you have for resources? That's what Jeremiah was telling them. You're here now. You're not moving. What are your resources? What do you have to use? Because you're not leaving for a while. And so what do we have when we're going through those hard times? Well, we have the Word of God. But look here. These, everybody in this room, that's your resource. When you're going through hardship, when you're going through cancer, when you're going through physical ailments, when you're struggling with with rebellious children, when uh, rebellious in-laws, whatever it may be, hardships, financial hardships, a lack of a job, this is your resources. So what do you have where you're at? Because you can't give up. you got to keep going. You got to keep doing. You have a bright future. Um, third thing, the whole thing on prayer. Um, prayer is always appropriate, and my answer to you is don't give up. Um, it's easy for a lot of us to. Uh, they're different people, different of us. Some of us are really good at praising God when things are going good. Some are good at really getting on their knees and and saying, God, I need help. Some are good at both. When I was a much younger Christian, I was really bad at both. I mean, it just never came. I had to be totally in a hopeless situation before I wanted to pray because it just wasn't natural to me. He's telling them to do things, to pray for these people that destroyed their temple, that destroyed their city. You know, when when things go wrong, we want to pray, God, help me out of this situation. Sometimes we don't really pray what we should. I mean, when you have leaders that you don't agree with, or a government you don't agree with. God is still there saying, pray for those people. When you have a Sunday school teacher that says something that you think is just the dumbest thing you've ever heard, God is still saying, pray for them. Pray for him. Pray for the leaders of your church. Pray for those around you in your small groups, whatever it may be. When you're at work, you have a boss that just drives you nuts, a co-worker. Somebody that just grates 
on your last nerve. <laughs> and God says, pray for them. Don't say, don't, don't get caught in the habit of, oh God, I just can't stand this person. Remove them from my life. Why are they there? I've experienced this and said, um, a person that I've worked with for years. And when I started really praying and said, God, let me see them through your eyes. Do they still grate on my nerves at times? Yeah. But I see something. I see a purpose. I see reasons. I see understanding. And God says, pray for these people. Prayer. The resources that you have. Uh, we're here for each other. That is why we're here. God didn't take, God didn't take Keith home when he got saved because he knew some of the troubles that Daniel and Abby were going to go through. And he says, I need you here for them. Albert, I need you here because Dave is going to, Dave Barber is going to have some problems. And you need to be there to steady him. Why? So that's a problem, a question that we go through all the time. They were asking why. Um, in 70 years from that time, God brought some Jewish people back. 42,000 returned. Experts estimate there were between 1 and 2 million Jews in the land at that time. 42,000 returned. Why? Things were good. They prayed. They obeyed. They got prosperous. Things went well. And when God said return, a lot of them said, it's a junkyard. Well, I don't want to go there. Things are good here. Did God have a plan? Yeah. Because for 26, 700 years, God protected the Jewish people and help them keep their identity within this land, which is Babylon. The Persians protected them and thought highly of them as several of them rose in ranks, like Daniel. Even when the Muslims came in, when Muhammad came on the scene, hated Jewish people and persecuted them throughout various areas in the Middle East. But when he died, two people, a cousin and a father-in-law, decided they were the new leader of this new Islam nation. Created two groups, the Sunnis and the Shiites. You hear about them today. And they constantly fought. Because of that fighting, they said the Jews are no threat, and they left them alone. When the Byzantine Empire came on the scene in Turkey and started spreading throughout the Middle East, the Muslims created a buffer and protected the Jewish people. Because the Byzantines were going in killing Arabs and Jews that would not accept Christ. And God protected them. Within the last hundred years, some two million Jewish people have come out of Iraq and Iran and created the nation of Israel once again. We've seen Ezekiel come alive when it talks about the Valley of Dry Bones. And he's bringing them back together. 
Over a million and a half people come out of, of former Soviet Union. Nearly a million people now have come out of South America that are Jews back into the land. God has a plan. Sometimes we don't understand the why. Sometimes we don't have to. But if you're not going through a problem, there may be someone that you, is in need of you to encourage them. Because you may not see that whole picture. Sometimes we get a glimpse of it in our rearview mirror. Oh, that's what God was doing. These people never saw the answer. Why did God do this? Abraham never saw the nation fulfilled that was supposed to come from him. Isaac never saw it. Jacob never saw it. Sometimes you won't see the why. So we deal. We deal with it. We have hope. Alexander Pope wrote an essay on man, and it started a, a um, in 1732, it started what was called the, the optimism philosophy throughout England and, um, and Europe. And it was, it was about sometimes things happen that we're, we don't have any control over. God does things, but God is still there. He's still in control. We don't know why he does this, but it happened. So evidently it's God's will. And there was this optimism built out of it. We're still going to trust. The things we change, we change. If we can't, we move on. And we continue to trust God. That's what Jeremiah was saying. And that's what he says to us today.